Well, again tonight we want to make everyone welcome to the meeting. We're glad to see you this uh, Thursday evening. And we make everyone very welcome in the Lord's name. We thank you for making the effort to come along tonight. Now, we've been here these few nights, and we're here again uh, tomorrow evening in the Lord's will at 8 o'clock. So if you're free and can come back again, you'll be most welcome again tomorrow evening uh, again for the meeting and the study and the reading of the Word of God at 8 o'clock. And then uh, on top of that, at the close of the meeting, there'll be a cup of tea. Now, that sounds a bit dry, doesn't it? But, you know, a cup of tea in Scotch Street means you get your supper. And so, from previous experience, uh, no one should go away hungry. Uh, I've, I've often told you before here what Jim Hutchison said, you know, that he, he used to say that uh, a cup of tea, it... Uh, it didn't do any harm till a good meeting, and it often helped a bad one. So I think that still stands. So we trust you'll remember then tomorrow night, and all are welcome to stay for a bite of supper. First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. And verse 1. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Now that's all we just want to read with the Lord's blessing. We've been singing tonight hymns in relation to the love, the love of God, the Father's love. And these verses that we've read, especially the opening verse, brings us to behold something of that great love. I want you to think tonight of the Father's favor on those who are in the family. You see, he says, 
Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. The favor to be loved. You know, John in his writing here, he does have the picture of a fatherly care and of a father who loves the children, the little children, as they're referred to uh, many times in this epistle. Now, I just want you to think tonight for a minute or two regarding this great love. You see, the Bible speaks about the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is in us. You get that in Romans chapter 5. And so, God's love in us shed abroad. There's a great thing tonight to have the love of God in your heart and in your soul. And to radiate that and that others might see that and witness that in your life day by day. And then you know the Bible would teach us not only about God's love in us shed abroad but it would speak of Christ's love for us. And you would get that in, in John chapter 15 and verse 9 where the Lord Jesus said, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. I'll tell you that's something, isn't it, tonight? Here is a love that's sure. Just as sure as the Father loves me, he says, so have I loved you. So you think of God's love in us. You think of Christ's love for us. But here in 1 John 3, it's the Father's love upon us. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. The great thought that here the Father's love comes our direction. It's showered upon us. So God's love in us is shed abroad. Christ's love for us is sure. The Father's love upon us is showered. My tonight, you know, it's a great thing to be loved by God. And every person in this meeting is loved by God. I'll tell you this tonight, every person in this world is loved by God. And there's no exceptions. And the marvel is, you know, that as we often say, he loves the unloving. And he loves the unloved. And he loves the unlovable. But God loves them all. Now, another little thought, as it were, on this. You see, when you read about God's love, you read about God's love for the world. And you read about Christ's love for his own. God's love for the world. You know it, John 3 and 16, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever 
believer in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so you have God's love for the world. And you have got Christ's love for his own. John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 1. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Ah, but you know, here we have got the Father's love for his children. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons, the word is children, that we should be called the children of God. So you have the Father's love for his children. Now look at it again. When you think of God's love, you think of its dimension, the world. You can't get any more than that. You can't get any better than that. You can't get any bigger than that tonight. And it's good to be able to tell men and women, no matter whatever class or creed or culture, that there's a God in heaven who loves them and there's a Savior who died for them. And so you have got God's love, its dimension. You've got Christ's love, its duration. John 13 again, I'm quoting verse 1. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end, or he loved them unto the uttermost. See, there was no end to it. You know, human love sometimes can falter. And sometimes can miss the mark. But I'll tell you, here's a love that will not let you down. No wonder George Matheson wrote the words, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul on thee. And so you have God's love in its dimension, the world. You have Christ's love, its duration, unto the uttermost. But you the Father's love, its direction. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Tremendous thought tonight. You know, there are some words in the Bible that can paint a great picture. We have read the word tonight, manner. Behold what manner of love. What does that word really mean? Now, I know it can mean, behold, what manner of love or what type of love is this? What type of love is this? But it actually means more than that. It means it has the idea from what country does it come? In other words, John is saying, here is a love that did not originate on earth. Here's a love that originated in heaven. Here's a love that didn't originate in the heart of man, but originated in the heart of God. From what country does it come? A love from a different realm, from a different sphere, from a different land. What a love tonight. My, this evening, you know that word, manner, you have it many times in the New Testament. I'll just quote one or two of them. When you read the story of the Lord Jesus, when the storm rose and the disciples were afraid on the lake of Galilee and they woke him out of his sleep 
And they said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And you remember how that he rose from out of his sleep, and he spoke to the winds and the waves, and he said, Peace be still. And the Bible says there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. What were they saying? They were saying, here's a man from another realm. Not just what type of man is this, but here's a man that comes from another land, from another country, from another sphere. I'll tell you, friend, how true. He came from heaven itself. He came from Emmanuel's land. He came from the land of fadeless day. He came from heaven and its glory. What manner of man is this? But then you know Peter uses it as well. And this time he uses it to Christians. And he says, What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? He's not just saying what type of people you should be. He says, You belong to another land. You don't belong to this world. You know, tonight, when a person is saved, they don't belong here any longer. We're, we're living here tonight, and we're, we're moving through this world. But, as the old hymn says, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. The treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The marvel is tonight that... <laughs> Peter says, what manner of persons ought ye to be? He says, you belong to another land. You know, it's a good thing to live in the light of the fact that this is not my home. We're only pilgrims and strangers. We're only passing through. But as the old hymn says, heaven is my fatherland Heaven is my home. My, it's a great thing tonight to be part of that and to have embraced that. Now, I want you to notice something else here. You know, just in relation to John. John wrote the gospel, of course, as you know, and he wrote these three epistles, and he wrote the book of the Revelation. And you'll find John's Print, imprint, as it were, in them all. You see, there are three great things that are in John's gospel. There is light, and there is life, and there is love. Those three great things you find in John's gospel. Light, and life, and love. And you know something? You have them in John's writing. You have them in this first epistle that he wrote as well. You have got light. My, he says in verse 7 of chapter 1, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. You have it in chapter 2 and verse 8. 
He says again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. What did, what did John this gospel write? You remember he wrote about John the Baptist? And he said about John the Baptist, he was not that light. But he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That's the Lord Jesus. The true light. You know, he is spoken of as the true light. He is spoken of as the true bread. He is spoken of as the true vine. And so, in John's Gospel, you have light. And in John's epistle, you have light. You have life. Well, of course, you know John's Gospel. You couldn't read it without seeing it again and again. You know, he tells us, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Life. Day to night, it's a great thing to be in the light. The light of the glorious gospel of Christ. And it's a great thing to have the life. And so you have life in John's gospel. In John chapter 10, he says, I give unto my sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish. When you come to John's epistle, I'll tell you it's lovely. In chapter 5, if you were to read it, you would discover my there. In verse 11 to verse 13, he says, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, and he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. There you've got it. So you've got life in John's Gospel, and you have it in First John. What about love? Well, we've already quoted it, you know. For God so loved the world. You've loved in John's Gospel many times. You know, I often say, we preach John 3 and 16, that great text. And how true. But you know, there's another John 3 and 16. There's 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. Hereby we perceive the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. And you know they're all good, aren't they? Hereby we perceive the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. My tonight, the great truth, the light, the life, the love of John's gospel seen in John's first epistle. But then, I not only want you to think about the favor, the favor of the Father, I want you to think tonight about the family. He says that we should be called the children of God. Now, 
It's a great thing to be in the family. I know there are many people who think and have the idea that we're all God's children. And by and by, just about everybody will get to heaven and it's only the real, real bad ones that will not make it. Well, I want to tell you tonight, it's not like that. How did you get into your earthly family? You were born into it. How do you get into God's family? You have to be born into it. You have to be born again. The new birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not, he says, that I said unto thee, you must be born again. In the family. My tonight in this meeting, is everyone in the family? In the family of God? Well, I'll tell you, it's a great thing to be in the family. You know, people sometimes think, you know, that God is my father. Now, let's be clear on this tonight. God is not the father of all. He's the creator of all. But he's only the father of all them that believe. And the, the, the simplicity is tonight that you cannot call God your father unless you are in the family. Now I know there's many people who repeat the words, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And they're not in the family at all. They're just repeating words. You know, tonight, to be able to call God your Father, you have to be in the family. And, and to get into the family, you have to be born. You have to be born and lit. Born of the Spirit of God. And so we've got the family that we should be called the children or the sons of God. Now, the Bible gives us different pictures of what the believer, what the Christian is. And I'm not going into them all tonight, but just to mention, you see, sometimes we're looked on as being sheep in the flock. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 10, he said, Other sheep I have, verse 16, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So my tonight, sheep in the flock. That's one picture. And then, of course, saints in the fellowship. We've already read that in 1 John 1 and verse 7. My, to walk in the light as he is the light. And my, to a fellowship one with another. And so, there is sheep in the flock, saints in the, in the fellowship, and sons in the family. Great thing to be in the family tonight. You know, in this family, I want you to notice there is maturity. You see, 
He speaks often in this epistle about little children. But he also speaks and uses the term little children to describe Christian maturity. Now, if you just look at verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, I write unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. And then he says, I write unto you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And then he says, I write unto you little children, because you have known the Father. So there he speaks about the fathers, about young men, about little children. And when he speaks there, he's speaking about maturity. That there are those who are fathers, who have matured in Christian things, and undoubtedly they would be mature men and women. And then there are those that are the young men, and then the little children. Those, my, who have been newly saved and new beginnings. But this is the point. If he uses those three different terms to describe maturity, and we all, all of us who are saved, we should be growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is room for all. You know, there is no such thing as a person having arrived and saying, this is it and there's no more. There's always more. There's always new heights to claim. And so, then he speaks about little children. Now, little children in the sense that he's speaking of all the believers. And you get that seven times in this first epistle. I'm not going to mention them all, but just look at it in verse 1 of of chapter 2. He says, My little children, these things write I unto you. He's speaking about all the believers as little children. You know, you just uh, glance your eye, as it were, down the, the, the chapter to verse 12. He says, of chapter 2, he says, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake, and so on. In fact, right at the end, you couldn't miss it, right at the end of First John 5 and verse 21, what does he say? He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. <coughs> Seven times over, in First John, he uses the term little children, to describe all the believers. But as we have already pointed out, he uses it in the sense once or twice as regards maturity. The fathers, the young men, the little children. Now then, you've got the family. Maturity. You've got unity. Well, you know, it's Paul that tells us 
isn't it, in Galatians 3 and 28, he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good tonight? You know, there's nobody superior. You know, tonight, you're saved by the same grace as I'm saved with. And there's nothing superior about me, nor about anybody else. Every person that's saved tonight, they're saved by the same grace, they're indwelt by the same Holy Spirit, and they're going to the same heaven. He says, ye are all one in Christ Jesus. But then there's the foe. He goes from the favor to the family to the foe. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he says there, Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. The foe, there's an enemy. You see, when a person becomes a Christian, when a person gets saved, <coughs> they'll discover opposition. They'll discover, am <coughs> I, that there's a foe against them. You know, I, I, I tell a story sometimes of the old retired minister who had uh, <coughs> preached the gospel for a long lifetime. And this is many years ago, and there was two young men who were thumbing a lift, and he stopped, and he gave them a lift in his car. And they were approaching a, 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 a certain a corner, you see, on the road, and these young boys thought they would make fun of the old minister. And they said to him, if, if the devil came around that corner, who would he go for first? And the old minister said, he would go for me because he's already got you. Well, that was a good answer, wasn't it? My listen tonight, when a person gets saved, they'll discover there's a foe, there's an enemy. And he says here, very clearly, therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Now the world in John's Gospel is often mentioned. But you've got to be careful because it doesn't always mean the same thing. I'll try and illustrate that. In John 1, it says about the Lord Jesus that he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He was in the world. That's the earth, terra firma. And the world was made by him. That's the earth. But the world knew him not. Oh, that's the world of mankind. That's the world of men and women. So you've got to see that every time that you read the term world, it doesn't always mean the same thing. It can mean the world as regards the earth, or it can mean the world as regards mankind. 
But there's a third meaning. There is the world here that's spoken of. He says, the world knoweth us not. You see, there is a third meaning to the term world. World, let me just spell it out tonight, is that evil system organized under the dominion of Satan and not of God. It's alien and hostile to God. That which takes us away from God. My listen tonight. You would have to agree that we live in a world where there is a system that is against God. That is opposed to God. And we all know and have seen in more recent years that Christian values have been thrown out and things that people my hell dear and were loyal to, they have discarded them and the values of the world, everything my is stood on its head. The world you see is an evil system. And he says in chapter 2, he says, love not the world. By, he says, love not the world. In verse 15, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, verse 16 of chapter 2, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You see, when a person gets saved, there's a three-pronged, a three-fold enemy. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is that which is against God. The flesh is that which is hostile to the Holy Spirit. And the devil is opposed to Christ. So there's an enemy. My, listen this evening. I've been saved since the 25th of August, 1966. And that's quite a long time now. But I can tell you something, that the enemy is still as rampant and still as real and still as ready to destroy as he ever was. And there's none of us tonight can boast nor brag nor say my, nor look down on anybody else. We are all dependent daily on the grace of God and in the mercy of God, and the favor of God to keep us and preserve us in his ways. The foe. Now the time is running on. There's a threefold enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The lust of the flesh. You see it in Eve. Way back in Genesis 3 verse 6. The lust of the flesh, she saw that the tree was good for food. The lust of the eyes, 
It was pleasant to the eyes, the pride of life, a tree to be desired to make one wise. There you have the three of them. You've got the great exhortation of, well, we've already quoted, love not the world, but you know, there are three outstanding expressions I must just share. James chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. That's getting close to it. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Then again, in James chapter 1, verse 27, that a man keep himself unspotted from the world. That's getting colored by it. And then Paul tells us in Romans 12 and verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. My, there is the awful reality of now someone conformed to it. He says, be not conformed to this world, what does that really mean? It really means don't let the world put you into its mold. And you see, that is really the subtle one. That is really the aim of the evil one. That the world, my, that would be put into its mold and we would lose our distinctiveness and our separateness and our uniqueness. Because, listen tonight, the people of God should be a separated people. I mean in the right sense of the word. From sin and from evil. To touch not the unclean thing. Now then, there's not only the, the favor and the family and the foe. You could... You could then see there's the fact in verse 2 of chapter 3. He says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now there's no delay. Are, there's no doubt. We, there's no difference. Now are we the sons of God. And then I want to come to this tonight in verse 2. Because this has to do with the future. And he says in verse 2, but we know, he says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear. Now think of the two words there. The word appear and appear. He says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, something that is veiled. Something that's veiled, that's hidden, that we cannot see it in full light or in full measure. But then he says, not only my, but when he shall appear, someone unveiled. Have you got it? Something veiled, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, someone unveiled. It is true tonight that as regards Christians in this world, we only know in part. We only know a little. And we often say the best is yet to be. 
And listen this evening. Don't we quote the word sometimes? Eye hath not seen, neither ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man, the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. So, something veiled. Ah, but then John says, My, we know that when he shall appear, someone who will be unveiled, he shall appear. He's coming back, you know. The Savior who went away, we sometimes say, he went away but not to stay. He's coming back again. And he will be unveiled. He will appear. My, he will appear personally. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. He shall appear privately to and for his own. Now, I'm not going into any differences of opinion here tonight, for I know there are those who would think when it says here, when he shall appear, it is speaking to the time when he comes to the earth as king to reign and set up his kingdom. Well, tonight, you know, it says here that we're going to be like him. He says, when he shall appear, we shall be like him. When are we going to be like him? Surely that's the rapture. When he comes to the air. He could come to the atmosphere, to the air tonight, and call the saved ones home to heaven, the dead in Christ, their bodies rising first, and the living saints changed and caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And the marvelous thought is that at his appearing, at his coming, we will be like him. He says, It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Resemblance. Now, you say, in what way like him? Well, there are two ways you can be like him. Here it's one of those ways. But I quote first of all, from Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says, Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies, or our bodies of humiliation, and fashion them like unto his own body of glory, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That's the change physically. What do you mean? That at the coming of the Lord, I'm going to get a body like his. A body that will never know disease or decay or death. But here, when it says we shall be like him, it is not the thought here of being like him physically but rather like him morally. 
morally. There are three things here that I just want to mention very quickly. And you will see them there. It says in verse 3, he is pure. It says in verse 5, the end of the verse, in him is no sin. Verse 7, at the end of the verse, it says, he is righteous. Listen to Nate. He is pure. He is righteous. In him is no sin. I'm going to be like him. You know, I'm looking forward to the day when I'll never sin again. That'll be a great day, you know. The old sinful nature that I was born with, I still have it tonight. But at the coming of the Lord, it'll all be gone. Never a wrong word. Never a wrong thought that will travel through the mind again. Never a wrong deed nor action. He is righteous. He is pure. In him is no sin. To be like him. I'll tell you that's something tonight. Well, very briefly, not only to be like him, that's resemblance. He says, we're going to see him. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to see him. That's recognition. You see, John saw him in his humiliation here below. He saw him in transfiguration on the mount. He saw him in crucifixion. He was standing by the cross. He saw him in resurrection. He saw him, my, in Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 15 to 17. And I'll tell you, all who are his, we will see him in exaltation. The exalted Christ. Exalted now to God's right hand. A conqueror over the grave. To see him, he says, as he is, the relevance, not as he was, but as he is, a glorified, exalted man at God's right hand. Now I, I draw to a close and finish with the thought of the fruit here. In verse 3 it says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Isn't that great tonight? Every man that hath this hope in him or on him. That's the thought. Every man that hath this hope on him, on Christ, purifieth himself even as he is pure. In other words, the great reality of prophetical things, the coming of the Lord, it's not only prophetical, but it's practical. You know, if I really believed he could come tonight, would it change my way of living more for him and more for his glory? You see, every man that hath this hope set on him purifieth himself. That's a, that's a process. That's ongoing. But it doesn't say that 
He purifies himself. No, no. He is pure. You see, he cannot purify himself because he is pure from eternity to eternity. It's we, my, when we have this hope set on him, it will wean us away from the world. We'll not have our hope set in this world, but set on him. Now, I'm finished tonight, but just to mention this, verse 1, he tells us what we are. The children of God. In verse 2, he tells us what we shall be. And in verse 3, he tells us what we should be. I trust that God will bless his word. Shall we pray? Gracious God, we give thanks to thee for thy Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank thee for the knowledge of him and that thy love was ever set upon us and that we ever were born into the family of God and the future that we have that's bright and glorious. We just pray tonight for everyone in the audience that thou wouldst bless every heart and soul. And maybe someone here tonight, and they're not in the family. They're not in Christ. We trust that even by the Spirit of God, thou would speak to a heart that they might be brought from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. We thank thee for the great hope that he's coming and will be like him, for we'll see him. Grant thy parting blessing in thy name. Amen.